Hi, I'm Steve Barlow. This is the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast, where we talk about perceptions of the future, issues we need to be aware of, and their role in a rapidly changing work and life environment. Hi, I'm Craig Saffin. Day by day, we are all learning to live with the impact technology, AI, and changing health and social conditions have on our lives. The Humanized Workforce Future You podcast series thinks the future is bright and something to look forward to. Welcome to the Humanized Workforce Future You podcast. My name is Steve Barlow, and as always, I'm joined today by Craig Saffin. How are you, Craig? Steve, I'm uh, glad the rain's finished in Sydney at last, uh, but we're nearly drowned along the coast here, haven't we, Sam? It's been rough. It's been very rough. Today, we've got a special guest, Amanda Knows, and Amanda is joining us from uh, Nice in France. So welcome, Amanda. It's good to have you here today. Amanda, do you want to give our listeners a little bit of an idea about uh, your background, who you are and, and what you do and so on? Uh, yes, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Craig, for having me. So uh, I, I'm a bit of a chameleon. I do quite a few different things. Um, my background uh, is, in, is in the technology and telecom industry. I, I started in Australia, um, worked my way around uh, the world. I worked in, in Paris in, in the 90s. Then I worked in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, Petaluma, near the, in the, near the San Francisco Bay Area, and then back to this area. Uh, and then just as COVID hit, I, I left the corporate world and um, I've been doing basically two different things. One is uh, starting up my own company as a, as a consultant doing transformation and change uh, marketing communications type work. And the other is I've been uh, quite involved in uh, two different nonprofit areas. Uh, one is the Professional Women's Network down here on uh, the Nice Côte d'Azur, which um, I was the VP of Partnerships and now I'm the, the president of that network. And uh, the second is uh, as a board advisor to the Centre for Optimism in Melbourne, which is, of course, how I uh, met Craig and Steve. Okay. That's, uh, that's quite uh, eclectic, isn't it? I, uh, I had a short stint working in Raleigh for Nortel uh, some time ago, and uh, I'm not sure if Nortel's still there or whatever, but uh, anyhow, it was an, it's an interesting part of the world, isn't it, Caroline? Uh, can I ask you, uh, today uh, mostly we're focusing on optimism, and uh, it seems that you've got a lot of experience and things that lead, lead towards optimism, although I, I expect uh, when you started your career, you didn't set out with that in mind as a specific, um, but you, you've ended up there as part of your aspect of talking about optimism. And um, I think it's got a lot of relationship with your professional women's network as well, by the way. So but can you tell us what, what do you think optimism is? What is your uh, understanding of the definition for optimism? So the definition that we tend to use at the Centre for Optimism is that things, optimism is, is the, the belief that things will work out in the end. And some people add, if it doesn't work out yet, it's not the end. Uh, we also go down into the detail of the type of optimists and we, there's a whole list of different type of optimists. And I think I'm lucky that I'm a bit of a natural optimist. <laughs> I really do always expect things to work out and I'm usually surprised when they don't work out. So, so I always start things with the idea that things will work out. Right. Uh, but I guess 30 years of business experience has also taught me to be a realistic optimist optimist right 
So, so what can you tell us a little bit about that, the realistic optimist? Because one of the things I want to ask you is about that authentic optimism. So I suppose realistic and authentic is, is probably the same because you get a lot of people standing up and saying, oh, yeah, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, but they have no plan and it ends up not being fine. Um, so what, what is that, um, that leadership or that personal trait that allows people to not only say it's going to be fine and to be an optimist, but actually to put a plan in place to make it so? Well, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Craig. I mean, it's exactly that. It's unrealistic optimism and positivity, I think, can be quite toxic for projects and organisations. One of the things that we we just recently wrote an article about was the different checklists uh, for transformations because the the business group in in the Centre for Optimism works quite a lot on transformations for for different companies. You know, you're in this situation and you want to get to this situation. And we believe that at each stage of the process, optimism has a role to play, but it's not, you know, fairies and unicorns type optimism. It's it's realistic optimism based on the fact that you've, you've looked at what needs to be done and you've 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 inspired the people with an optimistic vision but then when you've done the risk analysis you've looked at the things that could go wrong but you've also looked at the things that go right i mean that's where optimism infuses a project with something that's quite magical. And when you communicate to people, you communicate them um, with an optimism at, you know, lens, but you don't do it when things are not going well. If things are not going well, you tell the truth and say, yeah, these things are working, these things are not. This is what we're going to change because we've realised these things are working. Because, you know, as you know, whenever you start a, a project, you have a great plan and you've worked it all out and so on. But it doesn't always, uh, once things hit the ground, things don't turn out the way that you think they're going to turn out and you have to adjust. Right. So you can either adjust in a negative way and say, oh, this is not going to work. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time, blah, blah, blah. Or you can say, well, okay, how do I make it work? That's the optimism, right? I know that this will work if I just do ABC. So then you're more inclined to do ABC instead of saying, well, no, it won't work. That capability, right, to be able to pivot or to come up with a plan or to analyse what's going wrong and to chart the direction. That's uh, what you're saying. So that's that, um, like that positive optimism, isn't it? Well, it's also on what's going right because yeah. of, because people have a bit of a tendency to focus on what's going wrong and it's not, you should never ignore what's going wrong. As soon as something goes wrong, you should quickly, you know, figure out how to, how to change course and fix that. But people often forget um, what's going right. So I'll, I'll give you an example for, for us. When COVID hit, we were all a completely in-person organisation. So there was breakfasts, there was lunch, there was after work events, there was, you know, it was all people meeting to do professional, you know, business things, training courses, self-development, whatever. And we got shut down like every other organization. Everybody right. got, got said, go home. So many associations folded in the last two years. Oh, because yeah, they, could, they didn't pivot. No, because oh. they, couldn't, they couldn't pivot to being online. And within a month, we had pivoted to doing uh, all online events, which we kept for a year and a half. It was all yeah. online. And, you know, there was, there was uh, online coffee mornings and, you know, various things. Because what we discovered is we looked at our market and we said, well, everybody's stuck at home and it's a bit scary and it's a bit boring and it's a bit, you know, all the things that people miss with the interaction with people. How can we at least give them something? 
to hang, you know, to hang on to. And Victor ran a few optimism cafes for us, and it just was so important for people. Right, people yeah, came yeah. back to me and said, "Oh, thank goodness you did that." You know, <laughs> it was it was lovely, and it it gave me a, a real lift. And I, I look forward to these Zoom meetings, even though I'm on Zoom all day and I'm so tired of Zoom. Yeah, you right. know, at least well, it's, I think we all are. Yeah. <laughs> it's community. So so I think I think that's important to to be able to yes to be able to pivot, but to be able to pivot in a way that's yes okay this is a bad situation i have but what can i do how can i change how can you change yeah right and i I think this is a way uh steve and i started to do this whole series anyway because people were followed focused on that negative right what is the problem this is the problem this is the problem but but actually what you say is exactly right well what are the positives what what are the things that can happen or what can we do about it what how can we solve the problem uh, that's what was missing in the discussion, I think. So yeah, I think you're uh, you're spot on on that. Can I ask you, we're talking about positivity. If you're a leader in an organisation and you've been a leader in a, uh, some big global organisations, so sometimes there's a crisis, right? And, um, and sometimes there's just a transformation that needs to happen in the organisation, which is quite different, right? But you still need to be able to get up there do you think there's any difference in that, in, in the way you have to lead? If there's, a say, a crisis that, uh, say, say the organisation's been flooded, like we've had a lot of flood in um, Australia recently, or, or say uh, you've got a situation like they've got in the Ukraine at the moment, which that's a bit of a crisis for sure, and, but, or you may be just doing a transformation. So these are still things that require positivity and optimism. Um, and leadership. How, how does that differ? How are those two, how the things differ between a crisis and a transformational requirement in an organisation? Well, well, as you know, we are super lucky to have as our chairman for the for the Centre of Optimism is Rob, who is who is an expert in Australia on crisis communication. He's done right. a lot of that for, for every level of Australian government. Uh, and I think that the, the thing that, that that I see it personally is that people are not easily fooled. I think it's a sometimes sometimes if, if you're in a high level in an organization, it's it's easy to think that the people around you, they're the ones who, who are the ones with the opinion, right? Because you're, you're talking to a people at a certain level. Uh, and my very first company was Hewlett Packard, and they had a big concept of management by walking around. And it was a big part of HP's success in the in the 70s, 80s, and 90s was that idea that the managers would get out there and they'd talk to everybody and they'd understand what was going on. And uh, I think it's important, again, not to treat people as idiots. If things are going bad, then tell them the truth, yeah. right? You don't have to do it in a way, oh, doom and gloom, the world is falling. But if you can say to people, look, here's the problems that we're unexpectedly facing, and, you know, honestly, if you're all flooded, I think everybody could see what the problem is. Bombs are dropping on your head in Ukraine. You, you know what the problem is. Mm. Uh, but then what's the, what's the optimistic path we can take? What, what are we going to do about it? I mean, people can understand that problems arise. Right. Uh, if you've got a plan and you've got an optimistic plan to deal with it. And something that's uh, believable, right? A realistic uh, plan. That's where we talk about realistic yeah. optimism. Yeah. Right, it's very important to have the realistic optimism part. Yeah, because people are, I think, uh, uh, do you think that people are quite happy to to be led if they believe in the leader and that the leader has a, a an achievable plan? Do you think that? I think partly, but I think what has changed as well uh, is that uh, things are a lot less hierarchical. 
than they used to be in the workplace. So people don't just want to be led anymore. Some people do, but people also want to have their say. Okay. So it's very important to listen and to ask people's opinion. Doesn't mean you're going to follow everybody's opinion, but at least give them the, the, the chance to put it on the table. And then, you know, companies are not democracies even though people, you know, will, of course, <laughs> pretend that they are. They're not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are hierarchies. Yeah. But, you know, you're not, you, you don't own all the good ideas. So it's, it's much better if you can get everybody to, to talk about what they think. Someone's come up with a different idea that you hadn't considered. Everybody feels listened to. Then you can say, well, you know, here's, here's what's been put on the table. Here's the pros and cons of this versus that. And then a decision's made and you all move forward. Interesting point. So, so, so you're talking about giving uh, other people a voice and uh, listening to what they say and things like that. So, in that piece about being an op- an authentic, optimistic leader, can you talk a little bit more about collaboration and problem solving in that role? Then, so how does collaborate? How does an optimistic leader facilitate collaboration and prob- problem solving, which is an important part of handling a crisis or handling a transformation? change in the organization so we try to turn things around on its head this is one of the most important questions we ask at the center for optimism actually because what normally happens is you know you'll you'll go talk to someone and you'll say oh how's it going and they'll say yeah all right not bad not bad that's the that's the favorite favorite response yeah can't think or is it just australian to do that <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in, in France, it's savoir, oui, savoir. So that's the typical thing. Uh, whereas at the Centre for Optimism, and we are all encouraged to ask, well, what makes you optimistic this week? What makes you optimistic today? Mm. Uh, and that just opens a whole different conversation because then people will tell you about the good stuff and you'll learn about things that you, you know, you never had heard about the the other thing is I've done quite a lot of work around culture and and pulse surveys and things like that and one thing you have to be careful of is the but so when when someone does a pulse survey right they'll they might ask a question and they'll have a whole lot of of responses right textual responses so when you go through those textual responses if it's a positive statement you know I'd, I'd color it green if it's a neutral statement I'd color it orange and if it was a negative statement I'd color it red And what I'd find is quite often you'd get a sentence which would start positive and then it would go negative. So if you've got, you know, a positive and negative, they just cancel each other out. Mm. Um, So so I I always say, you know, beware the but. (laughs) (laughs) Because because people will say, well, you know, this is good and so on and so on, but... Yeah. Right. And then when you hear the but, it's a good time to pay attention because yeah. you'll you'll also find out what might be acting as a break yeah. on, on the positivity. Yeah. And, and again, I, I'm I I hesitate to use the word positivity rather than optimism because I, I really don't like it when HR teams and companies will come in and they'll say, You all must be positive. Mm. We must have a good attitude. You know, you, you need to create the conditions for positive, you know, exactly. for optimism and a good attitude yeah. by doing stuff, by action. Yeah. It's sort of, it's sort of like, uh, it's a little bit, I know you stood away from the leadership piece and whatever, but it's sort of like, you know, I'm your leader. No, you're not actually. You're the manager until I till we, we feel we want to be led. So it's sort of like you have to earn the right for certain things, don't you? So what about uh, Steve and I were talking about the explorer mindset? So 
as you're working through a process, you want to be um, trying to encourage that problem solving capability or that ability to find new solutions to things, uh, which we, we were calling the explorer mindset. Do you have, have you got a perspective on that? Yes, well, I worked um, around the San Francisco Bay Area for, for, for many, many years. So, so you know, that's, that's the, the epicenter of that. One of the things I, I, I lived in North Bay, and one of the things I always used to find fabulous is I'd drive up from the airport to, to get across the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh. And you would see so many big companies, right? There'd be Google and eBay and, you know, all, all the names that you would ever expect to see, they, they were there. You'd, you'd see their signs and, you know, of course, Twitter and all, the, all those big signs, all those big companies which are in the, in the Bay Area. And that creates a bit of a mindset in a way just by seeing, seeing that around you. But I think the question you asked was, you know, how do you, how do you get there? I think it's belief and belonging. One of the areas that I, well, I've done research in and I, I, I sometimes work in is this diversity, equity uh, and inclusion. And people talk about psychological safety as the most important thing in an organization. Google is known for their research in what make teams work and what make teams better. Yeah. And um, they came up with psychological safety as the most important factor, a successful team. The way that I like to look at it is that engagement is extremely low in large companies. I think it's about 18% is about the best, yep. which means that four out of five people are just not re really, they're just not that into you is <laughs> one way to, way to talk about it. Yeah. You know, they're there, they're doing that. They might be doing a perfectly fine job. They might even be excellent performers, but they're just data, not that. data point, isn't it? Actually. Yeah. <laughs> but they're just not that into you as a company. Yeah, right, so, yeah. so the question is, well, well, why? Why why are they not? And we actually believe that optimism, psychological safety, and really a sense of belonging is what makes a difference. If you feel that, you know, if you can feel a, an engagement and a loyalty um, and a belonging in a company, then you're more likely to go to the next step and you're more likely to say, hey, why don't we try this? It can be creative and innovative because you know that your ideas, I mean, your idea might not get picked up and taken, but you know that you're not going to get, you know, shot for, <laughs> for coming up with, a, with an idea that might be different or out of the box. Right. So I think all of those different things go together. And really there's like a pathway from optimism to, to business growth. We have a workshop that, that we run on that. And, and, and it actually passes through engagement, you know, op, how optimistic people tend to be more engaged and engaged people tend to be more productive and companies with more productive and creative people tend to have better business growth. Please indulge me, Steve. I want to ask one more question because I know um, Steve wants to, um, I think we're going to ask Steve to sum up in a minute. But I just want to ask you one more question off the back of that, and that is, so do you think that it gets it with success and optimistic, great optimistic behavior and project management or outcomes based on the optimism and the problem solving and the collaboration that you talked about, do you think that um, that breeds that sort of optimistic culture? Because that's sort of what you're talking about there, isn't it, with the engagement piece? Yes, it, it's a combination of things. It's a combination of people feeling comfortable where they are in the company. And I don't mean comfortable in the, this is too easy, we'll just sit around and, and type of comfort. I mean comfortable in being able to 
present their ideas, progress, be supported, that sort of level, that sort of level of comfort. Just like you talk about the psychological piece, it's part of that is the trust that they can express the ideas and that they'll be appreciated and stuff. Right. Trust is a very big part of it because if you can if you can trust the people that you're working with, and, and trust is on so many levels, right? It's it's the way people behave to each other, but it's also um, I've given you a project to do and I know that you're going to do it. Or, you know, as a, as a manager, you know, you know yourself as a manager, you've always got things come up and people have, have all sorts of issues that, that you need to deal with as a manager. So trust that you're going to deal with them with, with empathy and intelligence and, and, that, and that sort of thing. That's, that's important too. So I guess you could say that trust and um, optimism go together that sense of, and it creates that sense of belonging and once you get that people work very hard people want to do well in their careers okay. nobody joins a company and says oh I want to do a horrible job right they join because they're excited that this is the next step in the career and then as a leader it's your job to to bring them along so that's a people aspect but then there's also the project aspect right you have to manage your projects properly have good program management and and really infuse it through each step of the process and communicate it. Often people forget to do the communications part of, of transformations and then wonder why nobody knows what they're doing. Oh, that's fantastic. A lot of gold nuggets there for you, Steve. You want to uh, pick it up? Yeah, no, that was fascinating, Amanda. Thanks so much for your insights. I'll just sort of um, summarise some of the things that I got out of the talk, things that I heard. Uh, I guess I would say that there are three main themes that came out for me. One theme is around what a realistic optimism, what this concept is really all about and what it involves. Another theme would be the mindset that people need to have in order to get there. And then the third thing would be the context that's needed to support it. And going back to the first one, the realistic optimism, it's not about pie in the sky when you die, it's about telling the truth. But it's, it's seeing reality with a lens of optimism, to see what's right, not just with seeing what's wrong, not just seeing problem-saturated stories, but also having the idea or the mindset of how can I make this thing work? Okay, we've hit a problem. How can we make it work? What's the solution? What's the way around this? And um, seeing opportunities that are there, and part of that is having a plan, but it's also uh, listening to people, engaging people, uh, hearing what they say, and so on. So that's what I would say to me This the realistic optimism part is about. The, the mindset stuff is about what's going on inside people's heads and how they communicate that. So it's, it's like the how do you frame the world? How, how do you see reality? Do you see it from a pessimistic mindset where things are problems and things are wrong and things aren't, you know, aren't going in our favour? Or do you see it in a, uh, a way that, you know, we forget the but, we leave the but out, we, we, we'll come up with ways that we can work this through. And part of that is the language issue. The way we talk about our situation is super important as to whether we're going to be able to move through it and find those solutions. And then the third thing, the context you know, people have got to do this within a safe context, within a context that tries to engage them, in a context where they can feel that they belong. 
and a context where they feel that they can trust other people and that people trust them. And so that when these three kind of things come together, optimism is something that can lead the way and people can put it into practice and and find solutions and create new things and move ahead. Now, I don't know if that's a, a, a great summary of what you said, but that's what I heard. I thought it was a wonderful summary. <laughs> beautiful. There's a lot of gold nuggets in there for sure. Yeah, it's Absolutely. Amanda, uh, your insights and uh, your perspective is just so uh, fantastic. So thank you very much. And um, much. I appreciate you uh, you starting your day with us there in, uh, in Nice uh, so that we can uh, record this today. So thank you very much. I hope you have a great well, thank, thank, thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Humanized Workforce Future You. Please leave a rating or review for the series on the medium where you source your podcasts. The transcripts for today's podcast can be found on craigsaffin.com. That's C-R-A-I-G-S-A-P-H-I-N.com. Please subscribe to the series so you don't miss out on the interviews or the future podcasts. Thank you.